Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On 6.30 Chad. Flyers trying to stay alive against the Islanders. No score early in the second period, but Philly with an 11-4 advantage in shots on goal. The Raptors in tough. They were looking good in the third, but the Celtics have taken over the game in the fourth quarter. In the final minute now, 41 seconds left, Celtics leading 102-99. They're already up 1-0 in the series. Boston outscoring Toronto 32-21 so far in the fourth quarter. We'll keep you updated on that one. And the Blue Jays up 2-1 on the Marlins in the fifth. And one of the new Blue Jays, Robbie Ray, couple of innings of work today as the Blue Jays try to stay in that wild card race in the shortened Major League Baseball season. Raptors here inbounding the ball into the uh, final 40 seconds against the Celtics and uh, they turn it over. So well, maybe a foul on the play. I'm listening with the sound down, but now down to 34 and a half seconds left and the Raptors down three. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and EE Radio 630. Ched will have double E receiver Greg Ellingson between 630 and 7 tonight. He is going back to school. He's uh, back in Florida and he is going to be the receivers coach at his old high school. So he's keeping busy while the CFL season does not happen. It'll be good to catch up with Greg. I want to welcome someone to the show off the top here who uh, made me laugh earlier today before I had ever met her or spoken to her. Her name is Amanda Rummery, and I was looking at her Instagram account, and her her bio says body 9 out of 10, personality 20 out of 10, arms one out of two. So uh, she's able to have a laugh, and I'm pleased to welcome Amanda to the show tonight. Amanda, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Good, good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for checking in tonight. Of course, you're at the middle of a, of a news story today, which we which we will get to because uh, it's it's pretty unfortunate what happened, and hopefully we can help reach a resolution there. But uh, arms one out of two. Hashtag one armed wonder. You are a, a Paralympian. Tell us uh, tell us the story if you don't mind. Uh, about going from, well, the two out of two arms to the one out of the two. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was 18 years old, I was in an ATV accident, and it resulted in a brachial plexus injury, which is complete paralysis in the left arm. So I had no movement or sensation, shoulder down. And um, that was my dominant arm at the time. So I did have to adapt 
quite a bit, learn how to write and dress myself, feed myself. It was quite a transition. And then um, I started going to rehab at Sunrose Hospital and had some surgeries with the Royal Alex. And the surgeries were a lot. They were very hard on my body. I was covered in scars. They were doing like muscle and nerve transfers. And after two unsuccessful surgeries, I decided to amputate. So it was on my terms. I was um, very happy to do it. I have never regretted my decision going from a paralyzed arm to a cute little nub was the best decision I ever made. Uh, How long ago was this? Um, So original accident was July of 2015. And then I amputated in August of 2018. Okay. Well, obviously a big decision. So how, now we will get into your Paralympic career. So obviously you're, you're an outstanding athlete. So I, I assume you were uh, a high-level athlete even before the amputation? Um, I actually wasn't. So I played recreational basketball, never even played for my high school, got cut from the team. Um, like from tryouts, I never got picked for the high school basketball team. And then I did and compete in track and field. I did like every other kid does in elementary, just goes to the mandatory track and field at the end of the school year um, event. And then after my accident and I recovered from my injuries, I started researching what opportunities were out there for people with a physical disability, what para sport was. And there was quite a few winter sports in Edmonton that I like clubs and I wasn't interested in that. And then finally out of the Stedward Center in the University of Alberta, uh, there was a track and field para athletic group. Oh, cool. Okay. So was it, was it, uh, cause you mentioned your arm was paralyzed. Was it, uh, difficult to run with the paralyzed arm? Did you have to do anything to sort of like keep it tight to your body? How did that all work? Yeah, I did. So um, I actually found an amazing company somewhere in Asia, I think Singapore. They made these um, slings for people with brachial plexus injury, and it was an athletic sling, so I could even swim in it. I ran in it, and it was amazing, but it was obviously still an inconvenience every time I wanted to take off a layer or uh, putting my number on my bib. Um, from my like racing attire to go around the sling, it was always a little annoying. So it was much easier to just amputate for okay. that reason and many others. Right. Okay. Well, so, well, that's cool. So then you started, uh, you joined the club and you started sprinting and when did you start getting really good? And we should mention, and we'll get more to this. I mean, you, you, you would, you would have been going to Tokyo had there been uh, Paralympics. So when did you start to get really, really good for lack of a better term? Yeah, um, so I started in September of 2017 with my coach, Megan, and it was kind of in at the end of that year. So after a full year of training with Megan, um, I had broken the 100-meter record at that time. So um, things were going well. They were definitely snowballing from never running track and then only running track for a year. There is obviously less competition in the para world. There's just less females running out there with one arm. Then there is females with two arms, not to sell myself short, but um, if you are committed with para-athletics and you train and you compete, um, you could make it to the top quicker than you would in able-bodied sport, if that makes sense. 
Well, still, if, uh, if if you're the best in the country at something, and <laughs> you're one of the tops of the world. That's uh, that's that's pretty impressive. So, what what uh, how did everything with uh, the pandemic and the pause and the Paralympic postponement? How did that affect your training cycle? Yeah, so it obviously postponed Tokyo 2020, um, which was very upsetting at first, but at the same time, it was actually a relief because all of my competitions in the spring and summer had been canceled. So I was getting very anxious of how I would even qualify for Tokyo and not being able to compete. I didn't know where I was at and my training was also being affected. It was harder to get like weight room access. And it was cold in Edmonton uh, pretty late in the spring, so I wasn't able to get on a track right away. So my training was definitely negatively affected. And so with the Tokyo postponement, um, there was a bit of relief, to be honest. And now as it gets closer to like what would now be Tokyo 2021, um, I'm just hoping that that will happen because they said that they would not postpone the games again. They would just straight out cancel them because then you're going into 2022, which would be the winter Olympics year. Mm -hmm. So obviously the games actually get canceled. I'd be completely devastated. I've been training full time for a few years now and fully devoting myself. So it would be very heartbreaking, but um, I think in life, sometimes there's things that are bigger than sport. And right now with COVID, um, it just would have been way too big of a risk to hold the games at the Olympic Village. Amanda Rummery joining us tonight on uh, Inside Sports, Edmonton Paralympian. She's telling you uh, a little bit about her journey over the last few years. Amanda, you sound like a very uh, upbeat and energetic person. What can you tell me about the the mental side of uh, of dealing with uh, with an injury and then ultimately having having to make a decision about having your arm amputated? You're speaking about it very matter of factly and very logically, and and you're I can tell you're obviously passionate about your your sprinting career. Um, like, have you been that good at handling everything this whole time, or how has that side of it been? To be honest, um, I, I have been pretty positive through it all. I was raised that it is what it is. You can't change the past. Um, kind of tough love. So when my accident happened, I was continually told by the surgeons and the doctors that I would regain mobility and sensation in my arm and hand. So when that wasn't the case and my surgeries were unsuccessful, of course that was upsetting, but um, I knew that everything happens for a reason and that I was chosen to go through my accident and there was my two friends who were on the quad with me and I, um, I was the one driving. So I'm very thankful that the paralyzed arm uh, happened to me instead of that. But at the same time, I look around sometimes at people and I'm glad that this happened to me instead of them just because I've made the most of it and I'm very thankful to have found track and I always look forward to going to practice and to competing and it's really given me a purpose and something to work towards and created my dream of representing Canada at Tokyo 2020. Well, I, I, I got to say, and I mentioned, uh, you know, when I started reading about your store today, I, I first looked at your Instagram account and, and I noticed your bio and I read that off the top of the show and I yeah. thought, well, you must have a sense of humor. And then I noticed um, when you marked the uh, one year anniversary of the amputation on Instagram, 
you wrote happy birthday nub so i thought okay this young lady has uh has an interesting approach there there's there's you you, it seems like you're not the type of person you don't talk about what you you can't do you talk about what you can do and what you're going to do yeah absolutely i yes and i do treat my nub kind of like a real human i've named it all my friends and family address it by nub um we did celebrate its second birthday this past august um but yeah i definitely make the most of every situation and I'm very thankful that track has brought amazing opportunities my way. I was able to make my international debut in Lima, Peru last August at the Parapan American Games. And then again at the 2019 World Para Athletic Championships in Dubai. So seeing places like Peru and Dubai is absolutely amazing. So yeah, I'm thankful for everything that's come my way because of this. Okay, and are you the Canadian champion, the 100, the 200, and the 400, or what's the I, latest? I am, yes. Awesome, so, okay. 400 is my favorite event, though. It's uh, my highest world ranking. So in para-athletics, you usually look more so at your world ranking. So I was about 12th in the world in the 400 meter. Uh, Amanda, I, I don't know if you ever listened to the show, but uh, you're quite a bit younger than me. Do you, do you know, Have you heard of a band called Def Leppard? Yes, of course. Okay, so the their drummer... drummer the drummer doesn't have a, a left arm, uh, and and when and somebody texted this in to remind me, Dave, who's a big Def Leppard fan as as well, and Rick Allen's the drummer's name, and he said after his injury and amputation, he had to relearn how to balance. Did you have any of that sensation? Um, relearning how to balance, I I don't remember. I don't think so. I've always been a huge yogi, so I go to yoga like three to four times a week, and I find my balance is quite good. Okay. And I kind of, right. yeah. Because I never, I don't have nerves in my left side now because of how the accident happened. I had complete root avulsion. So I've been very fortunate to never experience phantom limb pain. I did initially at the accident for a few months post, but I do not have it chronic phantom limb pain like most amputees do. So maybe balance would have something to do with the nerves. I'm not sure. Amanda, can you stay on the line for a couple minutes during the break, and then we can bring you back and talk about the the story with the bikes? Because I want to get this out there, and maybe people can help. Amanda Rummery, uh, you're listening to on the show, incredible interview, uh, local Paralympian, and we'll uh, we'll tell you the latest that's going on when we get back. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Raptors lost. They're down 2-0 in the series. Boston took it 102-99. Islanders have a 1-0 lead on the Flyers, 8:56 left in the second period. We are visiting with Amanda Rummery, who's uh, an Edmonton-based Paralympian. She gave you the story of uh, injuring her uh, left arm and then choosing to have... Uh, uh, wh- wh- how, how much, like, is it around the elbow, Amanda? Is that where it got amputated? Yeah, it was an elbow disarticulation. So they literally just separated the two joints, the forearm from the bicep. I don't know what that upper bone's called, but yes, they separated it right at the elbow. Okay, and and she has gone on to become, uh, well, the top uh, female Paralympic sprinter in the country. She's the Canadian uh, leader in the 100, 200, and 400 meters. And you had some bad luck. Well, a bad incident. Very bad luck. What happened with your bikes here? Uh, So Saturday morning, I went out to my garage, and I noticed that the big, large garage door, my garage is detached from my house. I live off of White Ave, and it was open a couple feet. 
and somebody had broken the lock and broke open the door and stole my two modified one-armed bikes. Well, this sucks. And uh, I'll direct people to the story on globalnews.ca because you do have photos of the bikes there. And I'll, I'll tweet it out here when we're done the interview, too, because uh, hopefully these can be tracked down. Or maybe if someone uh, realizes what they've done, they can uh, quietly that too, yes. they return can them and, them, yeah. and we can all get on with our lives. So how, how were these bikes uh, uh, modified so, so they're a little more appropriate for you to use? Yeah, absolutely. So the one bike, it was my Schwinn bike, and it was the first bike I got after my accident. I That's how I learned how to ride a bike with one arm. And being that I lost my dominant, there was definitely le- some learning that had to be done. So I took it to a bike shop in Sherwood Park, and he put all of the gears and the brakes and the bell and the light all on the right handlebar. And then... Ironically enough, this a couple of months ago, I had my dad cut off the left handlebar because it was completely useless. And I was told that if I ever fell on my bike, having the left handlebar there could like hurt me in case it like impaled me when I fell. So um, it was completely modified, only had one handlebar, that being the right handlebar. And it was, yeah, it was my favorite bike. I've put so many kilometers on it. I use it for cross training, to get to work, to run errands. And then the second bike was a black and white Cannondale. And it had a nub mount. So what I would rest my nub in so that I could apply more pressure while uh, riding. And then it also had the gears and brakes all on the right side. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully, uh, you know the the word is out, and these can be uh, tracked down and and uh, and returned to you because that's pretty lousy that uh, that somebody took those. Amanda, it's been great to get to know you a little bit. We're going to have to have you on the show uh, a lot more often because a as as I said, you're a top Canadian athlete, and you live right here in Edmonton, and and you're an excellent interview. Uh, who any uh, athletes or teams that you cheer for or inspire you? Um, I love the Seattle Seahawks. Shaquem Griffin, the linebacker. I know he's not Canadian, but he has one hand, and yep. he is amazing. Um, if you don't know, if you guys don't know about him, you should look him up because he has a very inspiring story. I think for somebody with a physical disability to be fully integrated into able-bodied sport and playing one of the most competitive sports out there is pretty inspirational. So he is definitely my idol. Awesome stuff. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for checking in. Uh, you know, if something happens with the bikes, keep in touch and, and let's talk again. And maybe when uh, we don't have the distance, we can bring you into studio for an hour and, uh, and you can take questions and calls from listeners too, because I can tell from the text line, people have really enjoyed listening to you tonight. Thank you so much. Aww, perfect. Thank you so much, Reed. All right, that is Amanda Rummery checking in tonight. So I'm going to tweet that out right away if you haven't seen it already, uh, the story about her bikes being taken. I'm pretty lousy that happened, but what, what an incredible story she is, and she's having a great uh, great career. I think we're going to be hearing about her for years to come. We will take a quick timeout for the news inside Sports on Chet. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. The Islanders hoping to advance to the East Final and play Tampa Bay. They have a 1-0 lead on the Flyers with 4.42 left in the second period. You may have seen some of the speculation out there. I think Elliot Friedman mentioned it last night, and I've seen some uh, tweets about it today that the 
East final could actually start in Toronto. The plan to have the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final in Edmonton. But if the Islanders win today, there's some speculation that they could play game one of the East final on Thursday between the Islanders and the Lightning. And then I suppose the rest of the schedule TBA. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, I mentioned it. The Raptors lose 102.99 to the Celtics. The Raptors we're looking good going into the fourth, and uh, Boston came back, and they uh, they win it. So the Raptors are down 2 nothing in that series. Oh, I should mention the other NHL game coming up tonight, of uh, course, is Vancouver and Vegas. Uh, Vancouver faces elimination. Looks like Thatcher Demko is going to be the goalie tonight for Vancouver. Blue- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jays and Marlins in a 2-2 tie. That game's in the bottom of the sixth. 780 Four nine six zero zero six three is how you can text or call as the Flyers score to tie the game 1-1. Just glanced up at the TV, so I did not see the goal score. I think it was Giroux, who uh, hasn't been overly productive this postseason. It was Giroux. Was, oh, it was yeah. Giroux. Thanks, Kellen. Yeah. I, the, the, this TV, my TV in my basement is, is at a better angle for me to uh, check than the one in the studio that's kind of mounted from the ceiling. Yeah, but I still feel I, I see a lot of things over the corner of my eye and I all of a sudden I see celebrating. Yeah, a little uh, redirection from the front of the net there. Stick in the right place. All right. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. We just had uh, a really good interview, excellent interview with Amanda Rummery. Uh, Edmonton athlete, uh, a Paralympian, told you the story about uh, having an accident that basically cost her the, the the feeling in her left arm. Got it amputated, as she was explaining, right basically at the uh, elbow joint. And she uh, and, and I, when I asked her, I said, "So I assume you must have been a pretty good athlete uh, before the injury." She goes, "No, not really." So she she took up sprinting, and now she is the best in Canada in the 100, 200, and 400 meters. And uh, we'll be going to the Paralympics next summer in Tokyo. So someone whose story we will definitely be following. Al says, what an upbeat lady. I hope I would be half as strong as her. Hope she gets her bikes back. And I have uh, tweeted out the link to that story. Norman Akambai says, uh, swinging for the fences with this interview. Excellent interview. How are you going to top it? LOL. <laughs> well, well, we'll try, but she was great for sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, Jeff, glad you enjoyed the interview as well. Yeah, really good to talk to him. And, it is, and it's really crappy, pardon my language, that someone took her bikes. So maybe they'll be uh, recovered or if you see them around or maybe whoever took them might hear the story and uh, maybe decide they can just be quietly returned and everybody gets on with their lives but uh, but we'll see uh this texture says read a thought just occurred to me listening just now no well that's frightening that something happened on the show that gave someone a thought oh uh, elite elite athletes just do it because they love it take the money entertainment business out of it and people love it Oh, but wait, my point is, I see it watching the NHL playoffs. These guys are playing for the love of the sport. This is some of the best enjoyable 
to hockey to watch playoff Stanley Cup hockey ever, true or not? Uh, oh, well, there's a lot in that text. Wow. I, I think, yeah. I, I mean, look, I think that NHL players or NFL players, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, what's his contract, Kellen? Is it, was it $50 million a year? Yeah. So it's it's going to be, it's insane. Some insane number. I, I, I'm sure he still loves football. Mm. Like, don't, well, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I, I think, I, I'm not saying if, 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 if Patrick Mahomes was all of a sudden told, well, you can only make a million dollars a year or half a million dollars a year, I don't think he'd retire. I, I think the, the money is a bonus and yes, right. it becomes a business and free agency and arbitration and trade week requests when it gets all down to that. But one thing I've appreciated doing this job over the years, and I'll even go back to, you know, when I'm working in Lloyd Minster that they, you got to love what you do. And if you can love what you do and become extremely wealthy doing it, more power to you. I mean, what's you know, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy, security i suppose and maybe that can help make you feel happier but yeah I, I i think that elite athletes or a lot of people who commit to sports in some way uh they love it they 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 do love it and, and I, I find that when you actually get to talk to somebody in the nhl or amanda who we just had on the show and you hear the passion and the energy and the commitment and sometimes almost uh obsession that they have with what they do it's pretty interesting as philadelphia scores to go up 2-1 with a minute 40 left in the second period now is it the stanley cup yeah their salaries don't include the playoffs they're, they do get money for being in the postseason, and the deeper you go, the more money you get. So there is money on the line. It's not as much as their or their as their salaries are going to be. But I also think that this is this is why you play, right? I mean, what's what, what are most of these when guys are interviewed and they uh, win a Stanley Cup? What do they say? This is what I've been dreaming of since I was a little kid. You know, or when it comes to overtime, you, you you remember back to when you were playing road hockey when you were seven years old and your parents were calling you to come in and be like, okay, next goal wins. It's game seven of the Stanley Cup final. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think that I, – I think they love the sport regardless to, the, to that texture. I, I don't I, – I understand what you're saying. It's a different environment in the postseason, but I just think that's because the, uh, the, uh, the stakes are – are, are ramped up and they're embracing an opportunity to do something that they, they may never have a chance to do again. I mean, look how now the, there are 31 teams in the NHL. They're going to be 32. They're going to be some really good players that, that are the Marcel Dion's right. That don't win the Stanley cup or even Washington. I mean, Ovechkin may, may never get back to, to have that opportunity, but he did get his cup anyway. Interesting text kind of got me going there a little bit. Armswar says, uh, is Vancouver stupid? Did they see their Oilers play a backup goalie and lose? LOL. Well, I, I think uh, I think Markstrom's unfit to play. So, anyway. Larry says, uh, hi, Reed. What do you think about the rumor that Anderson is being shopped? Who would be the better goalie, Anderson or Corpus Salo? Oh, that's a good question. I'd probably lean towards Corpus Salo. But I do think the Oilers need an upgrade. Koskinen is going to be back. I wouldn't re-sign Smith. I think they have to acquire a goalie, even if it was an older goalie like Mark Andre Fleury. If you bring in for a year or two, uh, I, I would be fine with that. I think they need an upgrade at that position. All right, let's take a time out here, and then we'll come back with uh, speaking for, uh, for the love of the game. Greg Ellingson, double E receiver, is coaching at his old high school in Florida. That story when we get back. 
to 6.30 Jet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, so second period ended. Philly now up 2-1 on the Islanders, and they had a... Now, this is the, the disadvantage of doing a radio show when you're watching a game. I had the sound turned down, obviously, and Philly looked like they had a third goal. Bad angle shot. Looked like it snuck, do- uh, snuck over the line between Varlamov's left skate and the post, but they, they waved it off. They may have said that a Philly stick pushed the skate back into the net, but anyway, it didn't count, but the Flyers are ahead 2-1 after 2. Mentioned the Raptors losing by 3 to the Celtics. We'll break that down a little bit later on with Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta. Checking in from Florida, double E receiver Greg Ellingson. Greg, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, just on the way to my local high school. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Well, back to school for you, eh? To let all your fans yeah. know what you're up to. This is pretty neat. Yeah, so, you know, with the season being canceled, uh, kind of fortunate to still stay in contact with my high school and go back and, you know, coach the guys up that, you know, I, uh, I had the chance to do that every, you know, couple of years when I'd come back and get ready for the season. You know, I'd go back and, you know, just a couple of days here and there throughout the, the months preparing for the season, I'd go back and check in and help the kids out. Uh, like one guy's Frankie Williams for Hamilton that, uh, you know, I went back there and I coached him up a little bit. Then he went off to Purdue and had four years there. And then he ended up being in the CFL and playing against him. So it's kind of full circle and it's cool to, you know, see a kid that I helped train a little bit uh, at high school, go off and do good things and now I'm playing against him. So that's, you know, very cool. And then now I have a lot more time to actually take the title of being the receivers coach uh, down at Robinson High School. Uh, you know, where I grew up, born and raised, and, and, and give back a little bit to the kids. Well, tell me about your high school career. Were you the were you the star on the team, or were you an underdog and you had to work your way up? What, what do you remember about your high school football career, Greg? Yeah, actually, I played uh, youth football here in Tampa. Um, TBYFL for the Seahawks was the team name. And uh, actually, like my first year, my freshman year, I still played for the, the TBYFL team, um, the youth football team. And then I went... Uh, that that that's a year I played JV, and then um, my junior and sophomore year I actually played tight end, defensive end. I uh, didn't even play receiver, but uh, they just you know I had a, I was a good athlete and a big frame, so they put me at tight end and let me block a little bit and still catch some here and there. Um, and then my senior year I finally made the move to wide receiver, and you know finally got to be uh, kind of you know the the main pivot of the offense, and uh, ended up going for like a thousand yards my senior year and. Uh, a lot of catches and helped the team win a bunch of games and finally got noticed by uh, some colleges and I was actually going to go to a D2 uh, school um, and go to a little camp that they have where you can bring your highlight film and you can show all the schools you know your potential and actually got an offer from FIU uh, right the day before I was going to go to the like D2 convention which was uh, you know nice uh, to finally get that offer and uh, go to a D1 school and get a scholarship. High school football in Florida it, it, look, I, I'm a long way away from Florida, but it has that reputation where thousands of fans and and media coverage and all that kind of stuff. Like, is that is that true? Or the high school football athletes as big as you know? I don't know the the junior hockey players are in in Canada. I don't I don't know if that's a direct comparison, but what's it? Uh, what's the hoopla like uh, surrounding high school ball in your part of the world? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, I mean, I grew up uh, maybe four or five blocks from my high school and 
uh, you can hear like Friday night, you can hear, you can see the lights off in the distance in the sky and you can hear the roars of the crowd, you know, when they score a touchdown or when there's a big play, you know, that's something I grew up in like seeing and hearing and then being able to experience it. And then now, even when I drive back down that way, um, when I wasn't coaching for them yet, uh, you can still see the same thing. You see that glow in the sky from a distance and then you just hear the roars of the crowd. And, you know, I wouldn't say they're, um, I know like Texas has a reputation for being huge games and, uh, things like that. Like we still have a huge following. And I think the thing about Florida football and um, being down south this far is like we're known for speed. So it doesn't, maybe we don't have the biggest cornbread, you know, southern guys that are going to hold up on the offensive defensive line. But man, our skill positions, these kids are running around. And when you're competing like that all the time and the guys are always moving and they have high motors, you just kind of train yourself from a young age to be, you know, fast and always on the move. So I guess growing up in that definitely helped out. And, uh, you know, now it's, I guess, a point in time where, you know, I can give back and invest my time and uh, to the kids that, you know, have something else to look forward to and maybe want to follow in the footsteps that I've created. So what do you focus on as a coach? You've gone on to play pro ball. Now you're you're dealing with youngsters who, you know, I'm sure are still learning the game and obviously uh, trying to improve. And, of course, you can improve a lot from, you know, 14 or 15 to, to 17 or 18. So, you know, with you having played pro football, what are some of the key things you want to focus on now with younger athletes? I think with kids this age, it's um... – there's a lot of things that um, you kind of have to hone down on and you have to go to the bare basics and the fundamentals of, you know, what it takes to be um, a football player, not not just a receiver, because a lot of these kids are playing different positions, uh, just as I did in high school. I played my senior year. I played receiver, safety, kicker and punter. So my only timeout was halftime coming off the field and then at the end of the game, it was over. So a lot of these kids are going you know, on both sides of the ball. They're competing. Um, you just got to break things down and. I think the one side of it I didn't really think about too much when I was jumping into this um, you know, opportunity to go back and volunteer and uh, help with my local high school was I didn't think about all the things that you know have to do because it's a public school program through Hillsborough County where I have to make sure I get you know certified in concussion protocols and I have to get certified in um, AED and you know uh, heat stroke and things uh, even just like mental health and wellness and knowing how to interact with the kids and it's things that I think uh, playing football my whole life I've always been surrounded by and kind of known like how to deal with things and talk to people and just because you're with those guys all the time you just you know when you do it for 20 plus years and you're just immersed in that culture you don't realize the impact you're having um, on kids and then when you have to sit down and think about you know how the coaches before me had coached me and the way they did things um, it really shines a different light on you know being a coach and how you have to not only be there and teach these kids um, the fundamentals of football but just um, you know character traits and and things they can carry you know, with them and lessons, you know, that they can use their whole life, just, you know, uh, doing things the right way and, and the effort that you put into something will yield the results that you want. And, you know, you can't just kind of walk through things. You have to be specific about the things that you're getting taught and make sure you retain those things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger than just being a football coach at the high school level, I feel. And it's something that, you know, I kind of grasped and um, kind of just running with it because it's fun and it's nice to be able to be a positive role model for these kids and just talk about them, you know, football being an escape and a sport that's an escape from you know maybe problems they have at home or maybe um you know if they're getting bullied or you know whatever the release that they need or the lessons that you need to be learned uh, they can learn through um you know being a good teammate and uh 
you know, putting your effort in everything you do. And uh, those are just, you know, small lessons that you're able to impact the kids with. Yeah, well said, Greg, man. I love that answer. I can tell you got so much energy for it and so much respect for the job that you're going to be doing here. Uh, Greg Ellingson, receiver for the Double E football team, joining us tonight inside sports. He's going back to school. He's going to be recoaching the receivers at uh, his his uh, alma mater, Robinson High School in Tampa Bay, Florida. All right, so j- j- the kids, are you getting a lot of curious questions about Edmonton and Canada and the CFL or, or what's the, what's that like? <laughs> Not yet. I mean, honestly, um, this will be my, this is the, we went through camp last week. Um, this is the first week that I'll have the kids, like the receiver core, like purely uh, just doing receiver drills with just the guys that are going to be playing throughout the year. Um, so this is like, they're still learning me. I'm still learning them. And in camp, it's just a mess. You know, you're just learning everybody. You're learning all the kids' names. You're trying to just be basic and let them all kind of learn the position uh, just because they're so young and they might have not had that coaching before. So uh, I look forward to that, though. You know, I look forward to spending time with these guys and, you know, them get more comfortable with me and uh, feel, you know, feel like they can ask me things about, you know, the CFL in my life. I mean, they ask me vague questions, you know, about, you know, what's it like up there and what's the routine like on your day to day? You know, just explaining that, you know, it's early hours and you got to put in that meeting time. You have to go through your playbook and make sure it's studying just like you are in school. And and then you also have to put that physical performance and uh, translate what's on the paper and the plays you're learning onto the field. And it's not just about practice. It's about a lot more than uh, just that. So the more time I have with them, I think the more I'll be able to, you know, give them input and answer their questions and have fun with them and learn about them, too. But as, as of now, we're still at the, you know, beginning stages of the season. Well, all the best with that. Yeah, I, again, I can just tell how uh, how excited you are to do it, and I'm glad you found uh, something you're passionate about in in the absence of of a season. Great. We probably would have been doing an interview this week anyway, with with Labor Day uh, coming up. Um, can, <laughs> yeah. can, can you just tell us kind of the journey for you this summer? I, I know you you put on some social media posts that, that you were ready to play, even if it was a shortened season. So it's it's tough for the players and the coaches, and of course the the fans of the Canadian Football League. How are you dealing uh, with all that, and and maybe a message to people who might be feeling uh, uncertain about the future of the CFL? Man, uh, that's a tough question to answer. You know, I, th- I think uh, one thing that I've always, you know, appreciated about football is, you know, you, you always got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. It's kind of a saying that guys live by when they train and, and just how they go through things because you never know what's going to happen. It's, it's a motto that people use during the season when they're maybe on practice squad or they haven't cracked that starting lineup yet and they want to. And then, boom, you just, you know, you always want to stay ready so that, you know, you are ready when that opportunity arises. So if somebody goes down with an injury or, or maybe, you know, they feel like maybe someone's not producing and they, you know, put you in that in the fire and just throw you out there, you want to make sure you're ready. So I think through the, through the training of the off season and just getting ready for the season, I never wanted to tell myself that there wasn't going to be a season and, and kind of let off the gas pedal and be lackadaisical with my training and not have any motivation. Um, but as things, you know, went on and I tried to motivate myself in different ways and that's uh, kind of why last month, um, the month of July, I told myself I was going to run 100 miles just so, like, all right, right now I'd be in camp and I'd be running every single day, but I'm not doing that right now. I'm just still here training, hoping that we still have a season. So July, I kind of put, you know, a goal in mind of running 100 miles, which is kind of insane, but it was something that not only could keep me mentally um, in the game and healthy and, uh, you know, give myself some kind of goal to achieve, um, it also, you know, just kept me in shape. 
for, for the season. And uh, if we did have a season at any given moment, I'd be ready to go. And I think that's just kind of what you have to do. Um, even if you know you're in a sh- struggling time like it is right now, where you you have uncertainty, you just have to you know set goals for yourself that even if you know next year we do have a season that we'll be prepared for it. You know, you just have to always kind of stay ready. All right, one uh, last one for you. How's the hype for Tom Brady in that city? Oh, everybody's going insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tampa Bay now. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, uh, that's amazing. Well, Greg, thanks for checking in. It, it's awesome to hear from you, and, and good for you for, for going to help the athletes at, at your former high school. It sounds like you got a ton of energy, and, and you're ready to get going here. Thanks so much for checking in. I hope we can talk again down the road. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Greg Ellingson from the Double E football team. Back after the news. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.